So go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, if you will. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23 is what we'll read this morning. Matthew chapter 13 starts, verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up, but because they had no depth of earth, but when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he, who, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you, will, <clears throat> hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their, eyes are hard of, or their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on the stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So, if this is your first time joining us, Calvary Chapel, Truckee, or maybe first time in a long time, you know, we've been studying through the Gospel of Matthew, and this morning we come to uh, Matthew 13. 
And we find in Matthew 13 what's called the seven kingdom parables. Right? And this morning we're looking at the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, verse 1, we read, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. So the very first thing I want you to notice is I want you to notice Jesus. In the preceding chapters, we've uh, seen this growing opposition to Jesus as the Messiah, opposition to Jesus as the King of Israel. In fact, there's this open hostility that we've been seeing uh, to Jesus and his ministry. And in the midst of the opposition directed at Jesus, what do we see Jesus do? Right? He gets alone. He went down by the sea and he sat. Right? He went down by the sea to get alone, to just find a quiet place. You know, I don't know if you have times like that where you just get alone with the Lord. But those are things that are so needed in our lives as believers, especially during times of opposition, right? In times of difficulty. There are times when we just need to get alone, just to get alone in a quiet place where we can be still and just hear from the Lord to allow Him to begin to speak to our heart, to let Him to minister to us, to comfort us, to encourage us, and to strengthen us. It's so very needed in our walks with the Lord. And I think it's so significant that in the midst of the opposition that's just swirling around Jesus, right? he just took some time to get away. You need time to get away, to be alone with the Lord. You know, and wherever that still place is for you, I just encourage you to take that time. I'm a huge believer in getting away with the Lord to be refreshed, to be restored, to get fresh vision, to, to receive direction from Him. You know, in this past year, we haven't been able to do that as a church because of COVID. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just would like to encourage you and ask you to be praying. Be praying that God would open doors for us to allow us to get away just meaningful time as a church to get away and to seek Him. My heart is for youth camps and for family camps and uh, for men's retreats and women's retreats. In fact, one of my friends just texted me uh, yesterday. Tina and I are driving and I get a text and he says, hey, we're planning a Quaker camp. Does your church want to be involved? And I'm like, text back, yeah, we count us in. I don't know what a Quaker camp is. Does anybody know? Yeah, Maybe there's just no electricity. I don't know. But uh, you know what? It's so needed in our walks, you know? I encourage you to please pray for the leadership of the church that we would be able to get away and just seek the Lord's heart as uh, uh, leaders of the church for a week. And I tried to arrange a leadership retreat, a weekend retreat for us uh, during this last year, but because of COVID, we couldn't book a location. But, you know, we read in Mark 6, in the midst of all that was going on, Jesus calls his disciples to come apart, to come to a deserted place just to be with him. And I encourage you guys, we need that. 
We need to just spend time with the Lord, just to sit at the Lord's feet and to allow Him to refresh us and to renew us and to encourage us and to strengthen us in Him. Well, verse 2 says, And great multitudes were gathered together to Him, so that He got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. At this point in Jesus' Jesus's ministry, He's very, very popular among the multitudes and the crowds, right? You might say he's more than popular. I mean, he's wildly popular. He's off the charts in regards to his popularity at this time. And this verse gives us an idea of the size of the crowds that are following Jesus. The crowd that's gathered around Jesus while he gives his teaching is not able to be simply described as a multitude. It can't even be described as a great multitude. Matthew describes the crowd as great multitudes, plural. Jesus is not able to go any place at this point in time in his ministry with, without an enormous crowd gathering around him. So Jesus is in a city, you know, somewhere near the Sea of Galilee. And he walks out of the house to go down by the sea, to go to get alone. And again, it's just a quiet moment for him to commune with the Father. And it would seem that as he's sitting there by the Sea of Galilee, you know, all of a sudden a crowd of people just appears. The, the crowd is so large that they begin unintentionally to press on Jesus. And as a result, right, uh, Jesus is being crowded back into the water. You know, one thing that I love about Jesus is he's never interrupted by people. He's never too busy for people. He's available for us any time of the day or night. He always has time for you and for me when we want to draw near to him, when we desire to come into his presence. You know, one thing you'll never hear Jesus say is like, you know, I'm pretty busy right now. Maybe you could call back on Wednesday, maybe book a time with my secretary. You know, he's always ready to receive that. And I just love that about Jesus. And that's what's going on here. He wants to minister to the people, but with such a large crowd that's closing in all around him, right? How can anyone hear what he has to say except just a handful of people right in front of him? So what he does is he gets in this boat and he launches out a short distance from the shore. And now with a little water between him and the crowd, now he's able to address a much larger group, right? The Sea of Galilee... The shore of the Sea of Galilee just kind of gradually slopes up from the water. And so as Jesus is some, I don't know, 15, 30 feet away from the shore, uh, it would make for just this natural amphitheater. And Jesus spoke. And as he spoke, his voice would bounce off the water, amplifying his speech. And so because of this natural phenomenon, of the sound bouncing off the water, the sound would carry, the sound would travel, you know, very well, allowing 
you know, all the people to hear what Jesus had to say. Now, this, this crowd, this gigantic crowd that's all around Jesus is exactly what he's going to talk about. Crowds that gather around Jesus in his name, you know, they gather because of his teaching, right? It happens all the time. It even happens today in our times. It's nothing that's unusual, right? We're just one crowd this morning, albeit a very small crowd, but we're one crowd that's gathered around Jesus today, right? People are gathering all around the world together today to hear Jesus' words and to hear his teaching. But what Jesus is going to teach the crowd is that, that is gathered around him. What he's going to teach his disciples primarily is that crowd that's gathered around him that day. It's a lot more to a crowd than meets the eye. Rarely can you discern from a crowd, even a crowd that is gathered around Jesus, the motives within the crowd. It's impossible to discern the heart of each of the people that are within the crowd. Whether they're there out of pure motives, out of right motives, or if they're there for some other reason, right? It's impossible just by looking at a crowd to discern whether or not everyone's heart is right and perfect from God's perspective, right? And that wasn't the case with this crowd that was before Jesus. And Jesus is going to teach the disciples that any crowd that's gathered around his name, even in their public ministries, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, it's going to be made up of a variety of different kinds of people. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, he begins now, he begins to teach in parables. You know, the English word parable, it comes from two Greek words, right? The first one is para, which means alongside. And the second one is balos, which means to throw. And so a parable means to throw alongside. So what Jesus is doing when he uses the parabolic method of teaching, he's taking something that, that is physical, something that's very well known to the people, and he lays it alongside a spiritual truth that he's trying to communicate to them. And he does this in order that they might understand more clearly the spiritual truth that he's wanting to communicate to them. So the first of the seven parables in this chapter is known as the parable of the sower, but a better title would be a parable of the soils, right? Because that's really what it's all about. The main elements of this parable are the seed, the sower of the seed, and the four different kinds of soil that the seed falls upon. Well, Jesus sat in the boat and he began teaching. In those days, you know, uh, the teacher would sit and the people would stand. Somehow, 
We've gotten away from that uh, tradition. We've reversed it for some unknown reason. Spurgeon said in regards to the teacher sitting and the people standing, he said, we would have less sleeping in the congregation if this arrangement still prevailed. You know, maybe he's right. Maybe there would be less sleeping. Years ago, the boys, they would kid me. They would say, Dad, when you, when you teach, it's the best 20 minutes of sleep we get all week. You know? I don't know. Uh, if I were to, to sit and you were to stand, maybe there would be less uh, sleeping during the study. But anyway, verse 3. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sorrow went out to sow. Now again, the listeners of Jesus uh, Jesus' day, they would immediately relate to what he's saying. It's very possible that there was a farmer maybe in uh, view, and Jesus points him out and begins his teaching. Jesus is talking, uh, taking a very familiar physical thing and throwing it now alongside a spiritual truth in order to reveal that spiritual truth, right? So that those who have a heart and a desire to know it would grasp it, right? This very familiar thing, this is a very familiar scene to the people. They've seen sow or sow seed ever since they were born. And Jesus starts his teaching with this picture of the sower who goes out to seed. And we don't, we don't need to guess what the seed is. Because in verse 19, Jesus tells us that the seed is the word of the kingdom. The word, the seed is speaking the kingdom of God. It's a reference to the word of God. It's a reference to the gospel. The sower is anyone who sows that seed. Anyone who takes the word of God and speaks it into or sows it into the life of another person. Jesus is being the sower here at this point in his ministries. The apostles, they were sowers during the book of Acts as they took the gospel and spread it throughout the world. You know, we are sowers when we share the truth of the gospel, when we share uh, the truth of God's word, when we teach God's word. Missionaries today, they're sowers as they sow the gospel in a far-off field. And we're going to see that Jesus says the seed falls on four different types of soil. And those soils represent different hearers of the word of God. They represent the heart of those who are hearing the word of God. And these four different hearers of the Word of God are probably even present today in our midst. Now, as the sower would broadcast the seed, they would take that seed and throw it out. Even though they were trying to be as careful as they could be, the seed would land on different types of soil, not just the good soil. So that's the imagery that Jesus is using here in this parable. And one of the things that the parable communicates, the first thing we want to notice, one of the things that the parable communicates is that God wants everyone to hear the word. He wants everyone to hear the gospel. God knows that only one out of four listeners are going to apply the gospel appropriately to their life. 
but he still wants everyone to hear the gospel. So the seed is to be broadcast. It's just to be thrown out there, right? God wants everyone to have an opportunity to hear the word of God. He wants everyone to know the truth. And what people do with the truth is between them and God. They're responsible for how they handle that truth. As sowers, right, we're not to concern ourselves with any of that. We're to just sow the seed. And in verse 4, Jesus says, As he sowed, some seed fell on the wayside. A sower would go out into the field again. He'd broadcast that seed. You know, what they wouldn't do is they wouldn't dig a trench and drop a seed every few inches, right? They would just broadcast it out. Now, today we have corporations that, you know, farm hundreds of acres, maybe thousands of acres of land. And in Jesus' day, though, these farms were much, much smaller. They were family farms, maybe one or two acres, maybe five or ten acres if you were, you know, well off, right? And the land that one family farmed, it would be immediately adjacent to the land another family farmed. And running between those plots of land would be this footpath, or as it's referred to here, the wayside. And the wayside speaks of the beaten path, right, that went around and through the fields that the people uh, would walk back and forth on all the time, right? And as you would expect as a result of the people walking on that path constantly, you know, what it did was it just uh, compacted the soil to the point that it became like concrete. And the picture that Jesus is painting here as the sower would broadcast that seed, some of that seed would fall on the wayside. It would fall on the path and nothing could grow there because the ground was, was too hard. And he says the birds came and devoured the seed. Some seed fell on stony places, verse 5, where they did not have much earth and immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. As you go to Israel today, if you sit out in the field, you know, just to enjoy the scenery, you might, you know, take up a stick in your hand and you're doodling in the dirt there. And, uh, you know, something that you become uh, aware of pretty quickly while you're doing that is that in many places, there's just a few inches of soil on top of this very hard, rocky bedrock, right? A lot of times when it rains, the dirt will be washed away. It just reveals this uh, hard rock shelf. It's just below the surface. So you have uh, these areas with hard bedrock with just a few inches of soil uh, above it, right? Um, and the seed falls on that shallow dirt. And when the sun rises up in the day, it warms that soil. And as a result, that seed very quickly germinates. Because of this, you know, the seed is quick to sprout up. But because there's no 
depth of soil, the roots have no place to go for nourishment. And when the sun rises higher in the sky, that little plant is withered and scorched. Again, this, pic this is the picture that Jesus is painting. And it would be very, very well known to the people who were listening. And then Jesus says, verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. Isn't it interesting how weeds grow faster than good seed? I don't know. Gary Glander's here someplace, right? I mean, is that normal? Or is it just in my garden? You know? Uh, I tell you what. I can't figure it out. But anyway, um, Jesus is painting this picture here of weeds and the thorns springing up and choking out the sunshine that plant needs to grow. It's choking out the seed by taking the nutrients and the water from the soil that that little plant needs to survive. But others fell on good ground. And the good ground describes the soil that's both fertile and weed-free. says, others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears to hear, Jesus said, let him hear. Everyone has ears, but not everyone has ears to hear what Jesus is saying. You know, I like that even Jesus had to exhort his audience to hear what it was that he was saying. I like that he was willing to exhort those that were listening to his word to tune in, to hear what it is that he was saying. You know, and Jesus would exhort us today to listen up, to pay attention. Don't be a lazy listener this morning, but think through now the things that Jesus is saying. Receive the truth that is being taught this morning. He who has an ear, let him hear. In verse 10, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, they said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. When Jesus started to teach in parables, the disciples didn't understand it. They didn't understand why Jesus would begin teaching using these mystical, hidden parables when he was so popular. They just couldn't understand why. Even today, there are people who don't understand why Jesus taught in parables. But there are reasons for it. Jesus used parables as a method of teaching for two main reasons. First, he spoke in parables to reveal the more difficult spiritual truth to his disciples. The parable would make that truth come alive. Because people tend to think in pictures, that's the way we're kind of wired, Jesus spoke in parables so that the story, the picture that he was painting would grab their attention. Initially, they may hear that parable and think to themselves, like, I don't really get it. I don't, I don't understand what it is he's trying to say. 
But because of their desire to understand what Jesus was saying, they would take the time to think it through, right? They'd dig into it a little bit more mentally. And then a light would go off. And then they would say, oh, okay, I get it now. Now I understand what it is Jesus was saying. I understand what he meant when he said that. And as a result of that, those people who wanted to know what Jesus was saying, those who thought it through, they would discover that truth behind the parable and that truth would become ingrained in, in them. It would become part of who they were. Jesus used the parables for the purpose of revealing spiritual reality to those who wanted to know. The second reason Jesus used parables was to hide the truth from a certain kind of person, right? That person who was hanging around Jesus who didn't really care to know the truth. People who weren't really interested in hearing what it is that Jesus was saying, right? People with hearts that were less than honest, less than sincere. And there were plenty of people that were following Jesus that just wanted to see a miracle. You know, they were curiosity seekers. Others were following Jesus in order to oppose him, to find fault with him. They were waiting for him to stumble, um, waiting to hear him say something amiss, right? And they were looking for a reason to reject him as the Messiah. And I got to tell you, if you're waiting for Jesus to make a mistake, you know, you better be prepared to wait an awful long time because, you know, he doesn't make mistakes. It's not going to happen. But the scribes and the Pharisees, they would fit into that category, actually, right? For the most part, they were hanging out with Jesus and they were politely listening to the things he had to say. But in their hearts, they were in full-blown rejection of Jesus. And they, they were, there was no way that they were going to receive him as their Messiah. Again, they're already saying that he was in league with the devil. And that's the reason why he was able to do the things that he was doing. And they, again, were already engaged in actively plotting his destruction. You know, and yet they're part of this really big crowd that's listening to him. So speaking in parables would conceal the truth from these types of people, right? The truths of the kingdom of God would be concealed from those people who didn't care to know the spiritual truth that Jesus was talking about. Those who didn't have the heart or didn't have the desire to know. Parables will either reveal or conceal spiritual truth based on the heart of the listener. Those who have a heart to know what God is saying, they'll dig into it and God will give them revelation. And the person that's indifferent or doesn't really care what God's word has to say, you know, they'll find that the truth of God will be concealed to them. Well, verse 12, Jesus says, For whoever has 
to him more will be given and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have what he has will be taken away from him. Jesus is saying that those who are open and sensitive to spiritual truth, those desiring to think through and to discover what he's saying through the parables, more will be given to that person. They'll receive spiritual truth through the parables. Yet to those who are not open, those who do not have, they would end up in an even worse condition. What they did have, Jesus said, would be taken away from them. And I think there's something here for us, and I think it's worth us as Calvary Chapel Truckee to think through this, right? Some, there's something here I think that we need to see and to understand. As believers, we're always in a process of gaining or losing, right? We're either growing and we're in the process or we're either growing or we're in the process of backsliding, right? There's no middle ground as believers. There's no static life in this walk with the Lord. We need to daily determine we're going to grow in our relationship with him through reading the word, through meditating on the word, through seeking his heart and spending time praising the Lord, right? If we fail to apply ourselves, to give ourselves to this relationship we have with our Savior, we will begin to grow weak in our walks with him and fail or fall a little further away each and every day. Tina told me there was this great example given at the women's tea yesterday that the women's tea was just uh, a really great event, told, Tina told me. Tina said that uh, Trisha just knocked it out of the park. She just hit a home run. And uh, anyway, one of the ladies, the example they gave was they brought this little potted grapevine and it was bright and green and it was flourishing. But then she showed a little piece of that grapevine that she had plucked off the vine three days earlier. And it was still green. It hadn't turned brown yet. But it was already visibly withered after three days of being separated from the vine. Right? It certainly would never produce fruit. It was in the process of dying. If you're not growing and gaining, you're sliding backwards, right? You're in the process of withering and in danger of what you have being taken away from you. And I'm pleading with you as your pastor, if you're not in the Word daily, if you're not meditating on the Word daily, right? Spending time with the Lord, praising Him, and thanking him for what he's done in your life, contemplating justification, thinking about the sacrifice of the cross. Right? If you're not doing that, I'd encourage you, start today. Make that a habit in your life. Get back to it so that you can enjoy life 
the way God intended it to be lived. Living in an intimate and blessed relationship with your Savior. You know, there's so much more to this walk that we have with Jesus. So much more than what we've experienced to date. We haven't even scratched the surface, regardless of how long you've been walking with the Lord. Well, verse 13 Jesus says, therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Jesus' teaching with parables, it was actually a very gracious thing to do. The parables of Jesus were not only illustrations making difficult things clear to everyone who had a heart to hear, but they presented God's message so the spiritually sensitive could understand, while at the same time, the hardened would merely hear a story without heaping upon them additional condemnation for rejecting God's word. Parables were and are an example of God's mercy towards those with hardened hearts. Right? Jesus used parables so that the hearts of those rejecting would not be hardened any further than what they currently were. In verse 14, Jesus says, And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. And God tells us why they would not understand or perceive. Verse 15, For their heart, for the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes, they have closed. They have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their heart and turn, so I should heal them. Had Jesus not spoken to the hardened in parables, I believe they would have believed in him against their wills. And I think you need to notice, it was the people who chose to close their eyes in order that they wouldn't see the things that, were Jesus, that Jesus was doing. It was the people that chose to close their ears so they wouldn't hear the things that Jesus was saying. If Jesus didn't speak in parables, his message then, and I believe the gospel today, so overwhelming, so powerful, it would have caused people to believe in him against their will. They would have understood with their hearts and would have immediately turned to him for salvation, again, against their wills. But Jesus won't force himself on anyone. So he taught them in parables and only those who wanted to understand and turn to Jesus would understand and receive salvation. In verse 16, he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Do you know, do you understand 
Do you know that it's a privilege to hear the Word of God? To read the Bible? Man, it's a privilege just to have a Bible. And to have that light go on as we're reading it, it's one of the most priceless things in the whole world to hear or to read the Word of God and have the Holy Spirit give you understanding of the Word. God doesn't have to turn the light on for any of us, right? God's not interested in forcing His Word on any, anyone who isn't, inter, in, isn't interested in it. But, man, I'm telling you, it's a privilege to have any kind of revelation or any kind of understanding regarding the things of God. It's a privilege to understand what God is wanting to say to us. And again, Calvary Chapel Truckee is your pastor. Please do not neglect your quiet times with the Lord. I encourage you, take full advantage of your privilege. Don't treat it like a common thing. Verse 18, Jesus says, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. So Jesus is going to explain this parable to his disciples and to us too. Verse 19, he says, When anyone hears the word of God and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is one who receives seed by the wayside. Again, the wayside represents those that hear the word of God and they don't understand it. They hear it, but nothing is triggered in their mind, right? It's not getting any traction. In contrast to the other soils, the wayside represents the heart of those who do not or will not receive the word of God. And as I already mentioned, the wayside was a beaten and hard surface, as hard as concrete. The wayside represents the heart that is hard towards God. The wayside represents the heart that's hard towards God, the heart that does not receive the word of God as it goes forth. And we need to ask ourselves, what causes a person's heart to grow hard? And you know, hardness of heart is not just with unbelievers, it's also with believers. I was, I'm surprised how often Jesus talked to his disciples about the hardness of their heart. Well, what causes a person's heart to grow hard? What causes a person to have a heart that's unreceptive to the word of God? What causes a person to hear the word of God and walk away totally unreceptive to the truth of the kingdom? And I think it's an amazing thing how you can have two people from this side of the church. It's more maybe evident than from where you're sitting. But I think it's amazing where you can have two people in the same Bible study and one is tracking with you. One is, you know, taking it in. They're drinking it in. You know, the Holy Spirit is talking to them. And they walk away blessed and encouraged and strengthened, stirred to run for the Lord with a greater desire than what they had the day before. While on the other hand, 
you have a person in the same Bible study that didn't understand. You know, they aren't receiving what's being taught. They think it's boring. You know, they're constantly looking at their watch, just wondering, when's it going to be over? When's the bald guy going to stop talking? What causes a heart to be hard? Many things, I'm sure, but here are probably the most prevalent causes. One thing that causes a heart to be hard is sin. When you choose to live in an ongoing sinful lifestyle, our heart will grow hard towards God. When we choose to live in that lifestyle, our heart will grow hard towards God. Hebrews 3.13, the writer says, He exhorts one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful, and it has a hardening effect on your heart. Your heart will grow hard to the things of God if you're practicing sin, if you're living in a lifestyle that you know is contrary to what God says is right. The second thing, not only will sin cause our hearts to grow hard towards God, but when we refuse to receive God's conviction, our heart will grow hard towards God. Right? When we choose to reject God's conviction, the hardening process begins. When God convicts us on something and we refuse to listen and we insist to going in the direction we're going in, we're teaching our hearts how not to hear God. Man, it's a scary place to be in too. I mean, when you're teaching yourself not to hear from God. If you continue to harden your heart and continue to harden your heart and continue to harden your heart, ultimately your heart will become hard. And we see that in the life of Pharaoh. In the book of Exodus, we read seven times <clears throat> Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. Pharaoh sought to convict him. He sought to reach out to him, to reveal to him truth, right? At times, Pharaoh would yield for a little bit, but then again, he just hardened his heart. He would just harden his heart time and time again. And then we read, God hardened his heart. God finally got to the point where uh, he said, if that's your decision, if you insist on a hard heart, then I'll ratify that decision for you. And now your heart will be hard. When we reject God's conviction, the hardening process begins. Proverbs 29.1 says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed <clears throat> and without remedy. And it's actually speaking of a man's heart, Right? and becoming set in his ways. And there's no remedy for that man, God says. The way God created us as people is that once we reject the correction of the Lord, 
there's a little scar that begins to form on our heart. Maybe you can relate to this. But, you know, the first time as a believer, first time that I did something that I knew was wrong and God, you know, just brought conviction on me, it was, it was overwhelming. I mean, I could hardly bear it. I just broke down in tears and in repentance. But then as I continued in that sin, the conviction was lesser, right? And it became easier and easier for me to continue in that sin. And once my heart got a little scarred, a pattern got started. And it got easier and easier to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my life. And it just happened. I didn't even have to think about it. It's just the way it worked, right? Now, have you ever been driving someplace? I talked to Mark this morning. And this is what happened to Mark. And it's just what was on my heart. Have you ever been driving someplace completely on autopilot? I mean, you're heading one place. Maybe you're heading to the regional park, but you end up at Meadow Park. Just because that's just what you do routinely. Or you're going someplace and you end up at work or some other place you routinely go to. You meant to go here, but you wound up there. And when you got there, you weren't even thinking about going there. And you're just like, how did I get here? Right? It was autopilot. And that's the way sin works in your life. A pattern gets started. We get set in our ways. And our heart grows hard without any really thought on our part. And the end result is we end up someplace we never wanted to be. Another reason for hearts to grow hard is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy will cause a heart to grow hard. Some people's hearts are hard towards God, towards His Word because of hypocrisy. I can tell you as someone who's worked with youth for many years, that the kids that had the hardest hearts, they were the kids who saw hypocrisy in their home. Right? Those kids who had parents that claimed to be Christians but were living a double life, those kids were the hardest kids to reach. They just grew bitter and hard-hearted towards God because they saw the hypocrisy in their home or they saw the hypocrisy in the church. Again, as a pastor, you know, allow me to tell you, don't set your eyes on men. Men will let you down. The church isn't perfect. Wherever there are people, there's imperfection. Someone once said, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you're going to ruin it. Be careful not to get your eyes on men. Men will fail you. I will fail you. You know, but at the same time, we need to realize what a heavy responsibility we have as we call ourselves Christians, right? If we live a hypocritical life, we can cause people's hearts that are around us to become hard if we're not living what we claim we believe. 
Hypocrisy can cause hardness of heart. Another thing, cause a hardness of heart. Some people have a hard heart towards God and towards the Word of God because like that beaten path, they've been beaten. They've been beaten. They've been abused. They've been walked on and stepped on by others one too many times, and they've grown hard as a result. Right? People often will look at their experiences or they'll look at the, the wrongs and the injustices that they see in the world and they'll allow that to cause their hearts to grow hard. They'll say, if there's a God, right? If there's a God who's supposed to be good, how can these things be happening? How can he allow people to continue to treat me this way? How can he allow evil to continue in the world? Well, the answer is simple. The answer may not be easy to digest, but the answer is sin. We live in a world that is fallen and sinful. We live in, in a world that we clearly see the result of sin in. And sin stinks. Sin stinks. And we need to remember, God is good. Life is hard. We can never get those two mixed up. We live in a world that is full of the consequences of sin. And the only hope to escape the horrible, destructive nature of sin is to run to God and give ourselves to him completely. Isn't it wonderful to know that Jesus is the great physician, right? And he's in the business of healing hard hearts. Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take a heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. God is in the business. Jesus is in the business of giving people new hearts. And you know what? He can take that old heart of stone, that insensitive, critical, unforgiving, skeptical old heart of yours and give you a brand new heart. Jesus has a way of doing exactly that. For many of us, that's, that's what he's done for us. That's what he's done in us. He's taken our old heart and he's given us a heart that can commune with him. He's given us a sensitive heart. He's given us a heart to seek after him. A loving heart. A heart that's kind and gentle towards other people. A heart that desires to reflect his love and grace towards others around us. And Jesus can give you a new heart this morning. You know, maybe you're here this morning and your heart towards God has grown hard. Again, believer and unbeliever, hard heart can be found in anyone. Maybe you 
see that you're a critical person, right? You're skeptical towards the things of God. You're quick to speak out against God and against his word. You can have a new heart if you'll ask him to do that for you. The Lord would be more than happy to take your hard heart and give you a new one, a heart that's after his. You just need to come to him and to ask. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 2.14, Paul writes, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. You may be here this morning listening to what I'm saying and just think, man, it's complete foolishness. That's a sign that you need a new heart. You need the Spirit of God within you so that the things of God will make sense to you. Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was the teacher of Israel in Jesus' day, he said to, to Nicodemus, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say, unless a person is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Each of us have experienced a physical birth. But to see the kingdom of God, to enter into heaven, we have to experience a spiritual birth. We must be born again, Jesus said. And when we come to Jesus and ask him to give us a new heart in exchange for our old ugly heart, when we surrender our heart to him, God meets us and gives us understanding. He gives us a new heart and we're born again in the moment. I want you to notice real quick too, the spiritual warfare that's involved when a person hears the word of God. Jesus said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that was sown in his heart. And Luke adds in his gospel, Jesus said, lest they should believe and be saved. There's warfare going on. Even this morning, there's warfare going on right now to keep people from receiving the word of God and acting upon it. The enemy doesn't want anyone to draw near to the Lord. There's a battle going on right now in our midst. And I want to encourage you as believers, those who call Calvary Chapel Truckee home, I want to encourage you, every time we meet, would you pray that the seed would land on good soil and take root? Be praying during the study that God's word would go forth in power and find good soil. I believe if we'll do that as a church, God will bring hearts to us that need a change. Hearts that he's been working on through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, if we'll do that, if we're willing to pray for people as the word goes forth, we'll witness an amazing work of God in the lives of those who will receive salvation. Well, honestly, I had every intention of completing this parable today. We'll just leave it here today. 
we'll pick up next week a part two. But before we pack up this morning, you know, I want to ask you, are you in need of a new heart this morning? Are you the one who's here today that the battle is raging over? Will you call out to the great physician and ask him for a new heart? You don't want to go through life with a heart that's hard towards the, the things of God, do you? Right? That's not what you really want. I don't think anybody really wants to live a life void of God's presence. I don't believe that's what you want. I don't believe, again, that that's what anybody wants. Why not take a step towards God? Why not take a, a step this morning? Why not call out to the Lord and ask Him to give you a new heart? If you're a believer and your heart's grown hard, ask Him to soften your heart. Why not call out to Him and confess to Him your hardness of heart, your bitterness, your critical spirit, your unforgiving nature? Why not come clean and cry out to the Lord? And I don't really hear from you, you know? I don't really receive from you. I'd like to. I don't even know maybe if I'm really born again. Would you please do a work in my life and make me a child of God? If you call out to the Lord, Jesus will give you a new heart in the very second we call out to him. Many people here today have called out to the Lord and have received a new heart, right? How many? Yeah. I mean, that's a testimony of the fact that God is willing and his goodness is extended to people to cry out to him. I think about how hard my hard heart, how hard my heart used to be. And when I cried out to the Lord, he gave me a new heart. He met me. I'm not perfect by any means, <laughs> not even close. I am a work in progress, but my heart now is one that longs after the things of the living God, and I'm a recipient of his goodness. Won't you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior today if you're not a believer? If you're not a believer, you can receive a new heart from him. If you're watching online, you can receive a new heart from him. You can receive salvation today just by confessing your sins, telling him you're sorry for those things that you've done, telling him that you want to turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus as your Savior. The Bible says that he bore your sin on the cross and he shed his blood that you might receive salvation. But you need to turn to him and you need to ask him to forgive you of your sin. You need to forsake your sin and turn to Him. I'm surprised again how many times the Lord spoke to believers about their hard heart, right? The hardness of heart can happen to believers too. You know, if your heart's hard this morning, I encourage you, just talk to the Lord. Just do business to the Lord. Just ask Him to soften that heart again, right? to give you that soft heart for the things of God again that, that you once had. 
Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity that we find in your word. And God, I thank you for your willingness to reveal, to give us understanding of spiritual truths. And as we respond to them, I thank you for your willingness to meet us, Lord. Father, I just pray for anybody that is praying to ask you into their heart for the first time or is praying to ask you to soften their heart. Lord, I thank you that your word promises to meet them and to fill them to overflowing, to forgive them of their sins and to give them new life. Lord, I just pray for my brothers and sisters that have walked with you that maybe their hearts grown hard. As they cry out to you, Lord, I, I pray you would meet them and just draw them in again. Comfort them with the fact that you're ready to receive. Now's the right time to turn to you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.